How do we become wise? What specifically does Old Testament wisdom literature teach us about how to live? How do wisdom books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes deepen our walk with Jesus? How can these books impact one another ministry in the 21st century? The Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF, is hosting their annual national conference entitled The Way of Wisdom, where they will consider these questions and more. I want to invite you to join them from September 30th through October 2nd in Hershey, Pennsylvania, to explore the path of wisdom together. You can learn more and register at ccef.org slash 22. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm delighted to share with you an interview that I did with Dr. Mike Emlett at CCEF, or the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Mike is a BCC council member, and he's on faculty there at CCEF. Uh, He's written a lot of books. We won't get a lot into his books in the interview, but I encourage you to check them out online. It was a real delight to get to know Mike a little bit more personally, hear his background, how the Lord grew him, brought him to saving faith, and then used a lot of different avenues and channels to bring him ultimately to biblical counseling and then to the position where he serves now. Uh, He's been there for over 21 years, and he continues to grow and develop as a counselor and an author, and I was really encouraged by his story in this interview. I pray that you are as well. So thanks for listening. Thanks to everybody who's listening to this episode of 1514. I'm joined to day uh, via Zoom by Dr. Mike Emlett. So Mike, thanks so much for being with us on 1514. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. So for those of our audience who don't know you, could you introduce yourself, kind of where you are now, what your uh, current ministry roles are, and what family life is like for you now? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, I'm married to Jody. Uh, we just celebrated our 24th anniversary, um, and we have two two children. Well, children, adults, <laughs> young adults, uh, <laughs> age uh, 22, a daughter, uh, Lydia, and then Luke is uh, 19, almost uh, almost 20. Uh, so, here uh, Lydia will be a senior this year at uh, Cairn University, and Luke is a sophomore majoring in interior design and uh, up at Syracuse. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my, my family. I've, I've, um, I'm a faculty member uh, and uh, dean of faculty at uh, CCEF. Um, have been there since uh, 2001. So this is my, this will be my 21st year coming up. Um, so yeah, came came on staff at CCF when I uh, finished my my MDiv at, at Westminster uh, in two thousand one. And uh, we'll get we'll get more into this journey. But you're also a member of the BCC Council and an author of numerous books. Um, so one of the more recent ones that a lot of people saw descriptions and prescriptions, uh, which gets draws a lot from your medical background. Uh, you working on any other writing projects right now? Um, I'm hoping to do um, do a small book on contentment um, mm. with uh, with new growth on uh, there's there's a little a small book on dot 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 and yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm going to do one on disappointment, contentment uh, from scripture. Oh, those are really helpful. I know um, lots of good feedback on those nice bite-sized chunks for people to consume on a daily basis, but for a long period of time so they can just kind of steep in God's yep. wisdom there. So well, I'm excited to see that see that come out. So uh, tell us, go back in time a little bit now and tell us mm-hmm. where did you grow up? What was childhood like for Mike Emlett? Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in South Central Pennsylvania. It's a very rural area of Pennsylvania. We, uh, until recently, in fact, the county that I grew up in uh, did not even have a single red light. So it was uh, it's a very rural area. My uncle was a dairy farmer, uh, and I worked in the farm uh, during the summers. Um, Dad was a local uh, grocery store owner uh, for many years of my growing up, and then he transitioned to be the the local uh, postal uh, carrier. Um, my mom worked as a teller in the local bank once uh, my sister and I grew up a little bit further, and uh, yeah, so it was a it was a very small uh, small town. Lots of uh, extended family were in the area, so I spent a lot of time with my my cousins and my, my grandparents. So in that sense, very, very blessed to have a extended family that was close by. Yeah, no, that's, that's really great. I bet that made the holidays extra special. Uh, it was. Everybody. So did you end up working in the grocery store for a while while your dad owned it? Yeah, some, uh, working at the, the cash register, stocking, uh, doing inventory, those kinds of things. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And what, uh, so what were you like as a kid, if you were to describe yourself personality wise activities that you're into? I, I was, I mean, I loved uh, school from the start. I mean, I remember even, even in second grade being like, Oh, I get to bring a book home. This is awesome. <laughs> so some things never change, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, I, I really enjoyed uh, school, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed studying. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed sports, although I wasn't very good at it. I I'd spent, you know, more time on the bleachers in, uh, in the little league, but I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed playing, uh, playing a little league. I was involved in, uh, Cub Scouts and, and Boy Scouts, uh, growing up. Uh, but yeah, I would say even in, into high school, I would say, uh, I, 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 I didn't, meet an activity that I didn't like. Uh, and again, some things never change. I, I I'm really interested in a, just a, a variety of things. And even, even back then, uh, was, was involved in a lot of different clubs and just enjoyed that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's interesting. I love finding people who are just curious and just learners con- constantly. So I think, I think we'll have to get you two shirts. One says born to learn. The other says born to teach. And you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's the overflow of that, right? Uh, absolutely. And getting to teach and pass that, pass that passion on to others uh, is fantastic. So uh, as a child, as you grew up, what, um, and became a teenager and started in a sense, discovering your own personhood, that, that kind of thing. What, what were you like and what were you interested in as a teen? Yeah. So I, um, again, was, was very involved in a lot of different things. I was, in, I love science, um, and ultimately went on to major in, in biology. So I love science, but I also love the art. So I, for a quite a while I was considering uh, going into graphic arts, graphic design, uh, cause I enjoyed, enjoyed arts. I enjoyed theater. <laughs> so not that I was going to do anything professionally with that, but I just, uh, enjoyed, uh, 
that, um, you know, being involved in the school play and, and stuff like that. So really just a, a wide variety of things for, for a while I was considering, uh, going to a veterinary school. Um, and yeah, so I think it was just a combination of both loving the sciences, but also, uh, but also the arts. That's an interesting question. I'm going to go off the, off the script here a little bit and just ask you that because I found that that's a, oftentimes a challenge for people who are curious and learners is that there's so many things you're interested in and kind of maybe a lot of avenues you could go professionally that it can be a little bit um, debilitating or paralyzing of kind of what do you, what to do. So um, as we walk into your more adult years, how did you end up making that decision and what, what really led you to, what helped you narrow that? Yeah, I think it. um, I would say it was a, I mean, it was a combination. I uh, came to, came to Christ in my, you know, when I was, when I was 13. So by the time I went to, to college, I was growing in my faith and really, so wanting to honor the Lord was, was a, was a clear part of that kind of decision-making. Probably another, uh, another piece was um, just thinking that the, that the sciences would would take me in uh, more of a career direction that I was, that I would, that I would go in rather than, rather than the arts. So I started to, I think, lean against the arts as, as a vocation and more in an avocational uh, sort of, sort of way. So I think it, um, yeah, it was a, it was a gradual process of discovering, okay, yeah, this is what, how God has, um, has made me, this is how he's gifted me. It's kind of a Romans 12, three, uh, mm-hmm. thinking of myself with sober judgment, uh, over time that I think helped, uh, and I'm, and I still, as we'll talk about, had, a, I had quite a number of uh, twists and turns, uh, as, as we went forward. But I think from high school into college was pretty set that, yeah, science was, uh, was the road. Nice. So go back. Uh, you mentioned it, and I want to sh- have you share it more fully. When you you came to Saving Faith around the age of thirteen, what was that like? How did that How did that come about? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a in a Lutheran uh, church, uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church (ELCA). Um, my parents probably were not believers um, at that at that time. My dad's parents were. Um, in fact, um, my grandmother, and particularly uh, my grandmother, had gotten involved in uh, the, the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, kind of a early 70s uh, charismatic uh, movement, which she didn't, uh, she didn't uh, speak about that much in, in our pretty staid uh, local Lutheran church, but she had such a heart uh, for, for Jesus and such a heart for her grandchildren uh, to come to know the Lord. So when I was 13, I think, yeah, uh, she and my grandfather took me and a bunch of my cousins uh, to hear David Wilkerson uh, preach and this David Wilkerson of cross and switchblade uh, fame. And I don't remember a whole lot about the the the, the uh, message. It was he was talking about the end times, which this is early seventies, so a lot of yeah. you know the, the oil crisis <laughs> and a lot of uh, end times prophecy happening. How Lindsay's late great planet Earth and mm-hmm. such. Yeah. But he gave a gospel presentation at the end of his end of his message, and that was that was the first time I realized I. 
I was a sinner and I would be separated from God uh, apart from uh, from Jesus Christ. Uh, up to that point, it was sort of like, yeah, of course I'm not perfect, but the good is going to outweigh the bad. But there was just no getting around. I absolutely needed a savior. So I, as well as several of my cousins, uh, came to faith uh, that night. That's incredible. That's a, uh, but that was a special experience for your grandma as well. I mean, just kind of your whole family, I guess. So yeah, it did, was. Did uh, did you all tell each other right away, or was it kind of something that leaked out over time? Like, how did that conversation go? Well, it was an altar call, so uh, there was a whole <laughs> mass of us streaming down toward the toward the the front, and uh, yeah, I remember um, we all got. Um, the, the Jesus People Discipleship Manual. Uh, this was the early days of the Jesus People Movement, and so uh, that's how my my first you know few years of discipleship were essentially self study, and then um, some of my cousins, in fact, uh, or, who were older than I, uh, older than me, uh, organized a county wide Christian fellowship. Um, and that's, that's where I really started to, to grow in the Lord. And, you know, my mom and dad and sister uh, subsequently came to, came to Christ as well. And so, yeah, it was, it was a very, very instrumental, uh, night. Yeah. Wow. Did. Praise the Lord for that. That's, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, so you started telling us a little bit about college and some of your thought process that helped you narrow into the sciences. Uh, where did you end up going? And you mentioned biology already, but what did that, um, yeah, where did you go? where did you study and what did that lead to? Sure. So I went to the university of Pennsylvania and, uh, and I majored in biology thinking about the possibility of, um, medicine going into medicine, even then, as I, as I started, um, uh, started college thinking about overseas, uh, work as well. Even at that, uh, at that time I was involved in, um, the navigators, uh, Christian fellowship. So really, uh, just got, uh, wonderfully discipled during those uh, during those college years, enough that I, I wrestled a little bit before I graduated in terms of, huh? I wonder, wonder if I should think about full time ministry. And but as I as I prayed about it, then it really seemed like no, the door was open towards uh, towards medicine, and so I went straight from from college into medical school, also at Penn, and um, and that's you know that's. Uh, when I was thinking much more seriously about going overseas um, as a as a physician doing doing mission work, and um, interestingly, ha- had the opportunity before I graduated from medical school to serve for nearly three months at a at a hospital in uh, Zaire. Well, yeah, Zaire then uh, Congo now Democratic Republic of Congo Congo now, but. And again, it's one of these things where we can always look back in hindsight and say, huh, that's what the Lord was stirring then. But I remember being loving the medical work I was doing, which was amazing work being done there at an E-free hospital. But there were a couple of physicians who were at these rural dispensaries who essentially did medicine part-time and did evangelism and discipleship Mm. part-time. And I thought, now that that really interests me, um, but I, you know, I didn't I didn't know that's where the Lord might ultimately move me. Yeah. Uh, so when you well, when did you meet Jody, your now wife? 
that was uh, quite a few years later. So I uh, went into medical practice in South Carolina um, as a single guy and was there for six years before, uh, before I came to seminary, which is another part of the story. But I met Jody um, in the fall of 1996 when I had started uh, at Westminster Seminary. We were okay. both in our mid-30s by that point. So why, so walk us through medical school. You you go to this missions trip, and then you come back. You go to medical school. Um, as you're developing and growing there, what was that like for you? And did God continue to give you opportunity, like uh, point you to, I guess, give you highlights of what may be coming down the road? <laughs> Yeah, a couple of things happened. So that the um, the experience in uh, the Congo that I mentioned actually happened at the end of medical oh, school. Of, yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, but <laughs> during during medical school, um, one of the one of the important things that happened was I really got involved in my local church, which happened to be Tenth Presbyterian uh, Church. And so at that time, uh, James Montgomery Boyce was was still there, and so that was where. I really started to develop um, even even a greater sense of love for God's word and for for ministry, um, but still saw that as a you know that I would be doing that as as a physician. So um, yeah, so I don't I don't think I was thinking in terms of gospel ministry at that time, even as I was increasingly being embedded and and being being taught really really terrific reformed theology. So when, <clears throat> what, when did you end up deciding seminary was the right place to go? And was that, is that tied to biblical counseling? And if so, how did you get hooked into biblical counseling? Yeah, that, those two stories are intertwined. So when I, I graduated medical school and then did my residency in family medicine down uh, at the University of Virginia, and then went into practice uh, with a guy who was a couple years ahead of me in residency. He was a, was a strong believer, wanted to have a very um, overtly uh, Christian practice. Um, so I moved uh, to South Carolina, rural South Carolina, where, where he was. And yeah, he had already started the practice a couple years earlier. And it was just an, an opportunity to, to, take spiritual histories of patients. So when people came in for their complete physicals, we would also ask them about their, their spiritual lives really had great opportunities to, to bring the gospel to bear on people's lives. Even as I ministered to their physical needs to pray with, to pray with patients. Um, so I think it's in that context that I started realizing, huh, I really, really love this opportunity to be able to spend time talking with people about their, their walk with, with Jesus in, in this context. So I started, I found myself doing a bit more counseling that I didn't feel especially uh, prepared for. Um, but that, that was, <laughs> that was starting to churn in the meantime um, my senior partner had made contact with a pastor uh, in South Carolina who was eager to to place biblical counselors uh, in Christian practices in the state of South Carolina. So we all thought this is a great idea because we felt like we couldn't keep up with with that demand. So we met uh, this pastor who 
happened to be Jay Adams uh, in a small cafe in Prosperity, South Carolina, and uh, heard about this his vision for you know for bringing counseling uh, to to the church, uh, back to the church, um, and more widely uh, in other places of ministry in South Carolina. So I had no idea who. Jay Adams was, um, but I was captivated by this vision of biblical counseling. So that's that was my first um, my first exposure to uh, biblical counseling. Un- unfortunately, the person that came to our office was um, I wouldn't say particularly gifted, um, and we we got a bit. Um, uh, What's the? I don't know what the disgruntled would be too strong of a word, but it felt like I don't know that this is working out. So we ended up getting uh, another counselor in, who now I would recognize this. This person was an integrationist, mm. and what I noticed was, although this guy was able to build relationships with the folks we referred to them, referred to him, they didn't. They didn't seem to be changing. They didn't seem to be really growing uh, in terms of uh, in the fruit of the spirit or things didn't seem to really be changing. So I, I kind of felt like, huh, I don't, don't know uh, which of these is the way to go. (laughs) And then, and then I, and then uh, I heard about uh, CCEF and and Westminster. And by that time, I think the Lord had really um, moved in my heart and had confirmed externally as well that um that i ought to go to seminary uh, and to consider um you know pastoring gospel ministry full-time and i wanted to be at a place where there was uh strong biblical counseling and so that's that's how i ended up at westminster and ccf well, that's what that's a that's a really interesting road not I'm, i haven't heard too many people taking that route to it i'm curious though yeah. i had not i don't think i've ever heard of a christian doctor practice uh, like medical practice, is that a is, was that pretty common then? Is do you know of many now that that do that kind of thing? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was. Um, I wouldn't say it was common, and I wouldn't. Uh, it wasn't overt in the sense of you know this practice is um, explicitly explicitly Christian. It was more of this. Um, we want to bring the. the it was a very. Um, proactive way of ministering to, to our patients. So, I mean, the word was out on the street um, that, that this was a place where uh, faith was taken seriously. And, and yet at the same time, you know, not ram down people's throats. We, we just had the opportunity to have fruitful conversations uh, with people. In fact, some of our, some of our partners that we, that we took on were, were actually not believers, but they were on board uh, still with, with us, with us doing that. Yeah. And just, I mean, the, the way you describe doing a spiritual history, I mean, just asking people those questions, that's that in and of itself will bring up those conversations, but also steers it as a, we're here to care for more than just your physical ailments. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. This episode of 1514 was brought to you in part by the 2021 national conference of the Christian counseling and educational foundation. The theme of the conference this year is Modern Problems, Caring for Souls in the 21st Century. It's occurring October 8th through the 10th in Greensboro, North Carolina. You can find out more and register by going to ccef.org forward slash events. I look forward to being at the conference in person, and I look forward to seeing you there too.
So you you go to CCF, uh, you go to Westminster. Um, did you drop the medical practice right away? Were you still practicing and studying? How did that work for you while you were doing your master's there? Yeah, I was I was working in medicine part time, um, and yeah, so that helped to help to pay for for seminary. And honestly, at that time, I wasn't sure what the Lord might uh, might have. You know, would it be uh, as a as a bivocational? pastor, perhaps? Would I be doing medicine part-time and, and working working at a church uh, part-time? So I got, actually, we got involved in an urban church for that, for that reason, just wondering, like, maybe this, this would be the place the Lord, the Lord has. I loaded up on counseling courses because I knew I would be doing counseling uh, within, within pastoral ministry. Um, so in some ways, it was a little bit of a surprise as I was finishing Westminster to be invited onto the, onto the faculty at CCF. And, and really for the first year, I, I kind of wrestled with that mm-hmm. um, kind of dog leg in terms of calling. Cause it was like, well, wait a minute. I, but I thought you were moving me into pastoral ministry in the local church. And over the course of that year, just sought counsel and, and really seen settled that actually by, by taking on the role I was at CCF, I was actually able to bring some of my medical background to bear on, uh, on my teaching. And so that was, mm. that was one, one plus that, that I really saw. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, as you mentioned before, Jody comes into your life at some point in this phase. So tell us a little bit more about that. How did you guys meet? How did you get up the courage to ask her out or did she ask you? I don't know. Just <laughs> well, What's neither. The story? It was a, bl- it was a blind date. <laughs> blind date. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, she knew uh, a guy at church who was um, a PhD student in hermeneutics at Westminster that I had known years ago at 10th. And um, he basically in conversation with her, just you got to know her a little bit. And then it was like, ding, ding, you know, maybe this would be a, a good pair. Or actually, I think it was his wife, actually, uh, Mary, who was like, ah, Mike and Jody. <laughs> so uh, they, they set us up. They, you know, uh, went out with us, which was, which was great rather than yeah. just the two of us. So it was a foursome and, uh, we hit it off, uh, right away, very quickly, uh, moved into, uh, into a serious, uh, relationship. And yeah, we're both of us, we were in our mid thirties. So we, we, uh, we didn't, it was either we move, we move toward marriage or we don't. Um, neither of us were interested in just kind of dating. Uh, so we, we got engaged about three months later and then married six months uh, after that. Wow, yeah, which, yeah. I, which I generally don't recommend to, to younger couples, but uh, yeah, the, Lord yeah. moves, the Lord moves in, <laughs> in different ways. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny and I were the same way. We were married nine months after we met, too. We met at yeah. seminary, so we, we kind of, we were in our 20s, but we still felt like we had a lot of the main, you know, foundational things like faith and seriousness yep. about that uh, underground, but uh, under us, but still don't recommend that root to everybody. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's really, that's exciting. So you got asked to be, come on staff. Um, and part of, part of that is, includes, and I'm sure your training as well included more counseling. Um, cause CCF, you guys all practice what you're teaching as well. Um, tell us what that was like to kind of, you had this idea as a doctor, I'm going to go back and maybe counsel people or maybe do this bivocational pastor thing. 
but then all of a sudden that's a big turn in a different direction. Uh, what was that like? How did you settle into a really robust counseling and counseling training ministry? Yeah, um, I would say part of what helped with that turn was having the having the option or having the privilege of doing a, an internship at CCF before I graduated from seminary. So that started to solidify that, yeah, I really really love doing this, really love the opportunity to walk with people longitudinally over time and see, um, see them grow in, in Christ, which in many respects was very much what I was doing as a family physician, just f- following people long-term, you know, over the, over the course of their life, seeing, uh, seeing things happen over, over time. And so, so that, that opportunity to meet one-on-one, I really, uh, I really enjoyed um, that. I think, that continued the first few years I was at CCF, my more of my, more of my hours were weighted towards counseling. And uh, then over time, less, uh, less counseling hours and more and more teaching. Uh, but even in those early years, this, there was this uh, sense of confirmation that it is, it's just exciting to see the spirit work in, in people's lives and to be, yeah, have the privilege of being used as a, as an instrument to, uh, to to show them Jesus and for them to grab hold of that. And when when did you discover um, a giftedness or calling to write? Because now you've got quite a few books out. Um, when did that begin, and how did you discover that? That's a good question. I mean, I think part of um, coming on as a faculty member, there was an expectation that at the very least I would be doing some writing for the Journal of Biblical Counseling. So I think, I think within the first year, I started uh, started writing uh, some articles for the for the journal, and I yeah, I found it. Uh, hard work. It still is. I think <laughs> it's uh, in some ways the it's very challenging, but I but I love it and because it really, it forces me to, to say, do I, do I really know what I'm, what I'm talking about here? Um, and so I think that I'm continuing to grow uh, as a, as a writer, certainly the, the, the first book crosstalk was, was definitely challenging uh, hard, hard work. Um, but I, but I really enjoyed the, the, that discipline of taking taking thoughts, crafting them in a way that made sense, not just to me, but hopefully would, would be a blessing to, uh, to others as, as well. So, yeah, I really, I've, I've come to really love and, and enjoy writing, even though I, it's a, it's a taxing kind of work in a different way than, than counseling is. Yeah. Well, keep, keep doing it, brother. We appreciate the work and uh, your most recent book, I think is really helpful. I think it's your most recent, it could be off, but the saints suffers and sinners um, just really appreciate that. Uh, helping us keep the perspective of the whole person in front of us and really not fall into those pitfalls that we can with seeing people as one emphasizing one of those identities over another. So yeah, I, I appreciate your writing and I know a lot of other people do too. So we'll keep encouraging you to follow that. So what, what do you think are some of the, maybe what was one of the hardest things you faced in counseling ministry, a difficult time or something that was really hard? Um, and, and then the follow-up to that is kind of what did the Lord teach you through that experience? Yeah. The, uh, trying to remember the the probably 
one of the harder things was working, working with a couple that, um, you know, who, who struggled uh, for years uh, in their, in their marriage. And I, I could in a sense see like what needed to change or what could change uh, having that vision. Um, but n- neither of them really wanting to embrace that. And so ultimately them, you know, choosing, uh, choosing divorce. So that, that's, um, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Um, that's happened a couple of times. Uh, and I think, and whether, you know, as an elder in my church working with them or, you know, as a, as a counselor. Um, so I think that, yeah, that, that's really hard to see. And it's, and it's, and in one sense, it, it's reminds me again, I am, I'm not the engineer of this person or these, these people's growth, which I think when things are going well, it can be easy for me to, to fall into that sort of like, Oh yeah. Okay. I just need to, you know, do this or give this homework assignment or talk about this, this scripture. Um, but when I think you're faced with, um, things that, that implode that, that don't go as you had wanted or hoped or prayed for them to go, it's very, yeah, it's very humbling. It's very weighty. Um, and it does, you know, second guessing, like, could I have, should I have, should I have been more forceful here? Should I have been less forceful here? It's, it's uh, easy then to start second guessing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably the most common answer I get when I ask people that who are counseling is uh, some version of seeing people ignore the God, God's wisdom mm-hmm. and then watching yep. their, their lives kind of fall apart because of that and knowing what they, it could be. Um, how do you personally, what, what in the microcosm or right after, how do you keep yourself moving forward in counseling and then kind of in the general sense, like a uh, bigger picture, what motivates you to keep going in, in this work? Yeah. I mean, I think a couple things, I think one is recognizing that I'm, I'm seeing a slice uh, in time or I'm participating in a slice in time. I don't see the, you know, the end, uh, I don't know what God may have for, for this person or the, or these people. It is true that in this present moment, it's, it's very dark or it's very hard, but God <laughs> often will change uh, yeah, yeah. folks down, down the line. So I think just uh, retaining a hope that God's redeeming work um, is, is continuing. And at, at this point in time, I'm having trouble seeing that um, or seeing uh, this person embrace what I know would be what God would have for them, um, but not losing hope that that, that that can happen. And then I think uh, probably the other, maybe this goes along with it, but this, the, the first Corinthians three, um, seven, so on when, when Paul's just talking about, you know, who's Paul, who's Apollos, you know, like it's, it's, it's God uh, who, who makes things grow. So maybe I'm, I watered, um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe later that that'll, that'll bear fruit, but that'll, if that happens, it's, it's God who's, who's doing it. So I think that that helps. And then, yeah, just realizing that even, 
in the midst of my weakness uh, and my own failures as a as a counselor, because I don't I don't see clearly always um, that God God works despite uh, despite those things. So, yeah. you know, I I will frequently pray. You know, Psalm one thirty nine twenty three and twenty four. Test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Specifically related to to counseling. You know, when I'm when I'm perplexed and when I'm not sure. Yeah, it's really helpful. It's a good good reminder that counseling can go awry or go wrong, quote unquote. And for a variety of reasons, I remember getting ready to do my empirical study for my PhD and, and having a wise counselor say, you know, just, I think what you're doing is fine, but just remember just because a counseling case or whatever doesn't go well, doesn't mean it's because biblical counseling doesn't work. And I was like, I get that. And he just reminded me, you know, mm-hmm. you may be a bad counselor <laughs> or the counselor might be a bad counselor. Or the counselee might be rejecting counsel or God might just not have that person at that point being transformed. So, uh, yeah, helping keeping that perspective is, is helpful. Uh, obviously the self-reflective as well and, and seeking to improve. So what, um, any, any mistakes that you've made, obviously without uh, violating confidentiality or anything like that, can you think of a time where you made a mistake and, uh, what God did through it, how you learned from it, how others can maybe avoid that mistake? <laughs> Yeah, I th- it's it's interesting. I don't know that there's like one big, huge mistake that comes to mind, but I I think in one sense I'm I'm always having to wrestle with that. Um, did I um, did I speak too soon? Did I not speak enough? Um, I think probably where I'm where I'm most uh, where I'm will most make a mistake is just that attitude of I'm, I'm the, I'm the person who has to make this work, uh, so to speak. And I think, um, so when I'm, when I'm anxious or I'm frustrated, it's a, it's a litmus test. It's a, it's a yellow flag for me to say, Whoa, you know, you're, you know, (laughs) I'm taking on Messiah status here and I am not, I am not the Christ. Uh, and, and so, so I think that's, I commonly in a sense make that mistake of starting to, um, live functionally as though it's really, it's really up to me, um, how, how things go. I know that's not the case, but I think when I, when I start to see those, those warning signs, anxiety, dread, frustration, um, avoidance, whatever it might be. Those are, those are warning signs that wait a minute, I've taken, I've taken on more responsibility than God has, has called me to, to take on. And oftentimes, yeah, then re- relinquishing that in, in prayer is, is, is a first step in, in that, in that turn back. No, that's that's a really wise, helpful thing for us to, as counselors, constantly be assessing our own hearts and seeing when we see those things in our hearts. Um, and and I think there obviously could be variations for each individual person how those manifest. But to see, oh, maybe that's maybe that's me doing more than I'm supposed to be doing here. That's a good, and then praying and entrusting that person to the Lord. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, what's your favorite thing about counseling? Gives you the most joy. 
I mean, it's, uh, it's the opposite of what we've been talking about, which is seeing someone just grab, just seeing truth ignite in the person's life and in a way that they are growing in affection toward Christ and seeing the overflow of that in their, you know, in their lives with, with others. So I think that's those, um, those light bulb moments that then, you know, move further into uh, fruit of the spirit being expressed. That's just, yeah, that's just a joy. It's like, uh, what is it? Um, third John, I think it's third John four, you know, when John says, I have no greater joy than to see my, my children, you know, walking, uh, walking well. So I think that's, that's true for, for counseling for me. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, any, obviously not being cavalier and we understand what we do is serious, but there's also funny things that happen sometimes. Any funny stories that you've had in, in counseling ministry? Uh, there is one that comes to mind. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this falls in the mistake category, but <laughs> um, the Lord <laughs> used it anyhow. So I was, uh, I was counseling a couple. Um, this was, uh, this is probably in the first, uh, I don't know, five or six years of counseling. I think I don't, I'm not sure I remember exactly, but um, the, the wife was very, um, it was just very aggressive, very hard, very um, um, negative toward, uh, toward her husband. And, and he was a, he was a very kind of quiet, gentle guy, but she, she was a very out there personal personality wise. And, um, so I, I tried to kind of intervene a bit in that and, um, she kind of turned those guns toward me. And, and so I, I just, I started getting overwhelmed. Like, I don't know what to do here. Like uh, I I'm feeling what he's feeling, but I'm not sure what to do about this. And it almost, almost felt like I was having an out of body experience. Um, and so I, I basically said, you know, I need to take a break and go pray for a little bit and I'll be right back. So I got up. This is the only time this ever happened. I got up, I left the room and I went upstairs uh, in CCF and just paced the halls for about two or three minutes and prayed and was like, Lord, I really, really don't know what to do here. And, um, at the end of those three minutes, I don't know that I had a better idea of what to do other than it's time to go back. Um, and so <laughs> I, I went in and sat down and they just kind of looked at me like, what just happened here? And then we all just laughed. Um, and it just, in God's grace broke, broke the ice and we were able to talk, uh, about the dynamics that had, had just happened. And it was, a. Uh, yeah, it was a real moment of, of change, but it came out of this, yeah, this place of, I have no idea what to do here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I think that, I think that'll be encouraging to people for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. We're about uh, done with our time, but I like to have a segment at the end called two minute favorites, where we just ask you, you got two minutes to answer as many of these as you can. So okay. you ready for this? I am. All right. What is your favorite food? Maine lobster. Mm, what is your favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Uh, I would say both soccer and American football. Favorite sports team? And that also parallels, it would be the Tottenham Hotspurs uh, and the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. You have to say that, but that's okay. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I want to say that, Curtis. <laughs> uh, favorite candy? 
Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Favorite gift you've ever received? I think it was a, a framed photo of my father and my grandfather um, when he had finished, and this is my dad, had finished basic training and uh, was getting ready to be shipped uh, to Korea. Wow. Favorite gift you've ever given? I think it was the surprise for uh, Jody's 60th birthday, which is I, I gathered um, a bunch of her friends for all of her years and had them send uh, videos and cards. I mean, this is in the midst of COVID. So I would have tried to have everyone gather, but it didn't work that way. But everyone, uh, everyone sent uh, videos. Um, so that was really fun to do. And yeah, it made me uh, glad as always that God had brought us together. Favorite word. Fantastic. Least favorite word. That's a, that's a hard one. I think um, probably toxic because it's so overused. Mm. Favorite book of the Bible. I would say Psalms or John, Gospel of John. Favorite book outside of Scripture? I would say the Book of Common Prayer or uh, perhaps uh, the Select Letters of John Newton. All right. Well, that wraps up our two minutes uh, and our time together today. So, Mike, thank you so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you, Curtis. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.